Welcome to Vegan Business Talk with Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. Hello and welcome to episode 80 of Vegan Business Talk. I'm Katrina Fox, journalist, author, media and PR coach, copywriter, editor and proofreader, and founder of Vegan Business Media, a content events and training platform providing success tips for vegan business owners and entrepreneurs. In this episode, I interview Lois Eastland, vegan fashion designer of her eponymous brand in New York. Lois has loved fashion since she was a child and knew from the age of 11 that she wanted to attend New York City's Fashion Institute of Technology. After gaining her degree from there several years later, she entered the industry, working in Manhattan's garment district for more than 30 years as a designer in menswear, womenswear, junior sportswear and tween clothing. During this time, she also ran her own shop in the East Village and leveraged her line of streetwear, wholesaling to vendors throughout Europe, Asia and the US, including New York City's Patricia Fields. In 2008, after years of freelancing, vending at weekend markets and participating in an independent designer co-op in NoHo, Lois opened her eponymous boutique on the Lower East Side. For five years, the store stocked her line of men's shirts and women's dresses that embodied her signature aesthetic, bold patterns and flattering tailoring, which continues to define her brand to this day. In 2013, Lois made a strategic decision to close her physical store and focus on online fashion to reach a broader audience for her designs, which are aimed at the modern woman who is young at heart, while taking advantage of also showcasing her wares at local pop-up events. Lois and her designs have appeared in a number of media outlets, including the New York Times, Women's Wear Daily, CBS News This Morning, and many more. And she's the co-founder of digital vegan fashion magazine, La Fashionista Compassionista. While Lois went vegan in 2011, her fashion line has always been animal-free, sewn by hand by her from cotton and cotton blends. Most recently, she's been making print-on-demand t-shirts and other accessories, which she sells on Redbubble and Amazon. In this interview, Lois discusses How not knowing what you're doing when starting a business can be a bonus. How an incident early on in her business taught her to eliminate middlemen and to deal directly with manufacturers and suppliers. A strategy she uses to keep the cost of fabrics down and how this influences her designs. Why she closed her physical store in 2012 and moved into running an online-only fashion brand. The pros and cons of being involved in high-profile fashion events such as New York Fashion Week. Why she chooses to continue to make all the garments herself and how this can be a good selling point in a business. And much more. Here's the interview with Lois Eastland. Hello, Lois. Thank you very much for joining me today. 
Well, hello, Katrina. Thank you for having me. Oh, no, I'm delighted to uh, to speak with you because I know you're very, very experienced in your particular industry and trade. And, you know, I have people on with different levels. Like some people have gone into an industry with no experience and others have got right. a lot of experience. So I'm certainly very interested in hearing about your, your business journey and, and yeah, how you've become a, a wonderful fashion brand. So, you know, well, thank the, you. I know you're a regular listener to the podcast, so you know my very first question is all about the why. I love hearing people's stories about why they do what they do, why they're in the business that they're in. So tell us about your why, Lois. Um, well, actually, there was like no other options. I, I think I just came out of the womb being into fashion. <laughs> I, 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 I really, <laughs> I never, there was never a doubt. There was never a question. When I was little, I, you know, I had Barbie fashion shows. I was making Barbie doll clothes. I just, that was all I ever wanted to do. And you know, I grew up in a time where, you know, there was no Project Runway. People didn't really know what fashion designers were. Uh, nobody else I knew wanted to be one. But that was, you know, when I was 11 years old, I decided I was going to the Fashion Institute of Technology in New York. And that was it. And that's what I did. But it's just it's always been a part of me. My mother was very into fashion and my father was a carpenter and a little bit of an artist. So I think those two combined you know, in made me. Yeah, it was in my jeans. <laughs> it got all mixed in and, you know, but a lot of crafty stuff on my dad's side. Like his great aunts were in the millinery business and they were, you know, crafters and knitters and crocheters. And my my grandmother on my mother's side was a sewer and a factory, you know, so it's all, it's all in there, I think. Wow. And you've worked in the, I believe, in the garment district in New York for, I mean, you've literally been doing this for kind of over 30 years. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, oh god. Really. <laughs> I hate to think about it. I hate to admit that, but yeah, for a long time, yeah, I worked in the industry for a long time and when I started out it was a completely different industry. You know, the rules were the rules. There are no rules today, but um well the rules are very different. You know, you went to school, you got your degree, and then you took the first job in the industry that you could get just to get your foot in the door. You know, you weren't picky about where you went. Right. And that's what I did. And I got my first job and I worked my way up uh, very quickly just for reasons, luck and talent. I don't, you know, maybe a little bit of both. But uh, so, yeah, I worked uh, and I worked in all the different categories. I designed children's wear, men's wear, uh, women's wear, junior sportswear, tween clothing. So I did the whole, wow. the whole thing. You really yeah. And how did you get into your like launching your own business? Um. Well, that's a good question. Um, I always knew that I was going to be my own boss. I didn't really like working for other people, but I felt that it was necessary to, you know, learn the business. You know, when you work for an, a company, you get to see all aspects of the business, especially, you know, if you, you know, you go to factories, you see how things are made. But I just, I always knew just, you know, from day one that I was going to have my own business. And I guess it was, you know, switching jobs at one point, I guess I left my job or I, uh, one of the companies I worked for was closing. So I lost my job and I just decided, screw it. I'm just gonna, I'm just going to make my own line and just do it. That's what I did. Fantastic. So that's, and then, and then of course, you know, I mean, I've had many, you know, I, I did that and then it didn't work out a little bit. So I went back to work again and, you know, I had a few of those before I finally was out of the industry for good. Got it. Got it. And you did. Out of the industry working for other people. Got then, it, got it. Now, I'm glad you shared that because that's happened with some other people that I've spoken to. I think it's really good for people to hear that, that it's not necessarily this straight path of, okay, I quit my job and now I open my own business and that's it. I never go 
back to work again sometimes you do have to have that like you said that kind of stopping and starting in the in the beginning as you you know start to take hold so thank you for for sharing that so who's your main I'm curious who your main clientele is particularly now Lois because I believe you went you as you've been working in the industry for years and years you went vegan in 2011 so I'm curious who is your main clientele and approximately like what percentage of your clients are vegan well, I think that most of my clientele for my clothing, my my dress line, um, well, they're they're not. Most of them are not vegan, so that's the number one. But the clientele is really it's, it's really me. <laughs> I mean, I designed the line for for me. I wanted fashionable, comfortable clothing that's you know stylish and and it, it's you know chic and you know downtown and hip or whatever. So basically, it's for 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 me. That's what I was getting back to. Somebody who who feels like they're 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 25, you know, like they have the like young spirit, um, and they may not be 25, but they're young at heart, and it doesn't matter how old they are. Um, when I had my store, obviously, I could see really the customers who came in and purchased my clothes, and they were anywhere from 16 to over 60. Nice. It's just they had like a a certain type of spirit and a style, and you know. That that really is my customer. It's kind of like a modern woman who's young at heart. I love that. And I was just thinking as you were describing that, uh, who one of the people who I think epitomizes that is our lovely mutual friend, Victoria Moran. I've seen oh, her modeling she, your, your clothes and yes. she's just such a wonderful, like totally, you know, I totally thought of her when you said that, that young of heart, chic and, and what have you. So Yeah, oh, and she is actually my unofficial spokesmodel. So. <laughs> oh, lovely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she is wonderful and she owns several of my my dresses and, and she, she looks, wears them very well yeah. absolutely yeah, she, she's a she brilliant model them. for you <laughs> yeah she rocks them like no other so <laughs> when I um when I opened the store um when I, ha- I I know I'm skipping ahead a little bit but when I did open my store I was not vegan so I went vegan through the time I had my store so I think that um now I have a bigger percentage of vegan you know customers for my dresses because I know obviously more people in the vegan community and I'm more well known in the vegan community so people are buying more Absolutely, so I, yeah. I I'd say I mean it's still very small because I still have my regular customers from my pre-vegan days um, I'd say it's like 20% of my clientele uh, but growing awesome that's fantastic so so I'll ask you this as well. Um, when you so how did going vegan like did that impact your business in any way? Like you said, you've got your regular customers. So did the fact that you like I don't know if you had any animal products previously and then you got rid of them, or I'm just kind of curious as to how you becoming vegan did that impact your business in any way or your customers um, in any way? Well, it it did not impact my business because my clothes were always vegan before oh, I. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Nice, so nice. that was a beautiful thing. <laughs> so there was no like, oh, I have to get rid of all the silk or I have to get rid of all the leather. That was not happening. Um, I did sell uh, when I had the store. I did sell some uh, vintage handbags in my store. Most of them were not uh, leather, but I did have a few leather ones in there. So when I went vegan, I did not sell those anymore. Um, but for the majority, it did not impact my business at all. Um, yeah, so it was just like I said, my clothes were vegan before I was. I used uh, cotton, so I've always used cotton. Cotton. Oh, knits. wonderful! Oh, yeah, so great. that was a. It was just a beautiful thing that I could say now that ooh, my line is vegan. Yeah, <laughs> and I love what you just said there as well. My clothes were vegan before I was. That's a really cool quote. I like that. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about the challenges of starting up um, any business. As you already mentioned, there were a few kind of stops and starts in the beginning. So can you just talk us through um, some of the yeah, some of the issues, some of the challenges you found in setting up your your fashion business. 
Well, very beginning when I, you know, when I was much younger and my pre-vegan days, when I first struck out on my own, um, you know, obviously money is always a concern because, you know, there's never enough money. But I really, I really had no idea what I was doing. But sometimes I think that's good because if you overthink something, you don't do it. But so I, you know, I dove in, you know, feet first and uh, I was doing some trade shows and, you know, I got some orders for like small boutiques around the country. I was very excited. You know, I filled some orders and then I, I was decided I was going to have them, you know, the samples made at, you know, a small factory. And I met somebody whose mother had a factory and I went to see the factory and everything was good. And, and then I let this person be, be the go between between me and the factory. And so when some of my orders were ready to, you know, needed to be shipped, I was calling the factory and she's like, no, we, I said, we can't do this. So it's like, Oh my God. So I, I lost, I couldn't ship those orders. So I, you know, I lost those orders. But what I learned was never, have like a middleman deal directly with the factory deal directly with your suppliers you know don't let take somebody's word for it um so you know that was one challenge but you know i bounced back i did another trade show and i actually wrote to all the customers explained the situation and i said please you know don't hold this against me i hope you order from me again and they did so it it, you know it worked out for that you know, but that, yeah. you know, that was a long time ago. And, you know, yeah, that's good advice. It's good to be aware of that kind of thing, though. So I'm glad. you. Yeah. Yeah. That. And then it, it actually I did so well that I did not have enough money to produce the clothes. <laughs> so that's kind of a high quality I, problem in a way. I know. <laughs> and I didn't really know. I was very, young, you know, not so young, but I was, was much younger. And I didn't really understand about like getting uh, there's all kinds of thing where you could borrow money against orders. And uh, but I just I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to use other people's money. So I ended up stopping that for a while and then going back to work for a little bit before I ventured out again. So got it. Got it. Wow. That's just fascinating <laughs> yeah i'm saying I, we, if you had hours i could i could go on for hours <laughs> so you touched on the money side of things in terms of say i mean i know this certainly happens in food and i believe it happens in fashion to some degree as well sometimes vegan items need to be and like the end product ends up being more expensive mm-hmm. um, or higher higher price because mm-hmm. of the raw materials because you're a small business you know right. you might be able to buy in bulk and that kind of thing how mm-hmm. have you sort of navigated that in terms of your business well it's not only a vegan problem it's it's a problem you know for every small business I think Um, the problem is is that no matter whether my my fabric was vegan or not that I'm using is it's very hard for small businesses to buy in bulk that you know I mean in in small quantities because you you don't can't afford to buy like I can't afford to buy 500 rolls of fabric and where would I store it you know so but I after all my, you know, years in the garment center and doing this and that and the other thing, I actually found a jobber um, who buys um, like overstock, you know, fabric from companies going out of businesses. So he has fabric that normally would be, you know, thrown away or whatever. So for me buying from a jobber, I feel like I'm uh, you know, I'm able to rescue the fabric, <laughs> so I'm able to use it, you know, like uh, it, almost even like, you know, upcycle it because it w- may be going to waste. And because he's a jobber, you don't have to, he, he does small minimums. So uh, you're able to buy small. Now, as far as getting the actual, you know, like vegan, like the cotton I use, 
I'm not 100% sure if it's organic or not just because it's from a jobber and he doesn't really keep all the records of, you know, where they got that from. Right. But he he is carrying more organic um, products now. They're still, still a little pricey for me, but because it's being more and more popular, um, he's told me he's getting more. So in the future, I'll be able to switch to all organic cotton. So that'll wow. be good. For me. Lois, can you just explain what exactly is a jobber? I'm, oh, I don't I'm know sorry. that term. I don't, yeah. Maybe other people, maybe it's an American term or maybe it's yeah, a fashion it's term, a but I thought, I'll just, just to clarify. What, what okay, does that mean? So a jobber is a middleman. So even though I said don't work with a middleman, but oh. <laughs> work with this kind of a middleman if you can find a good, reliable one. This guy is very, very fab. He's fabulous. So basically what a jobber is, is he's a middleman who buys up like, say uh, a store is closing, uh, somebody will buy up all the closeouts and then they'll resell it. So that's a jobber, somebody who buys something that's either going out of business or overstocked from somebody and they'll resell it. It might have a different name, you know, where you are. It might be just called a reseller. I, I don't know. Okay. But okay, cool. So basically he has a whole business. He has a factory in Pennsylvania. Uh, I wish I could go there and see it because going to fabric stores and looking at fabric is like, you know, my jam. I, I just, it's like my happy place. Um, I'd be like lost in there for hours and I would like never come out because <laughs> looking and touching all the fabrics. Um, so basically he has a huge warehouse and he buys up, you know, like I said, mills that, you know, there's so many mills that have closed in the United States, fabric mills. He buys up all the fabrics you know, companies going out of business. Maybe it's designer. They're selling off their fabric. Maybe they, you know, used up all the fabric for their line that they needed and they have extra fabric. So he'll buy that up. And so he stores mm -hmm. that. Right, you know, do you then ahead. kind of base your designs on the, like, do you get the material first and then figure out your designs? Like, so that you kind of know that you've got enough material to make a certain design? Well, what I, I work, like the fabric speaks to me <laughs> so silly to say that but the fabric speaks to me um i don't design first and then use fabric i yeah i look to the fabric first and then oh, i cool. see what i can make of that because i don't know it's it's just how i work and basically i i'll, I'll go on the website to the, the jobber's website i'll see what i like he'll send me swatches and then out of those swatches i'll pick something out that i like and then i'll order it and then nice. and then i sit and i stare at it I, it's usually solid colors because I used to do a lot of color blocking. You've seen my, my yeah, yeah, lovely. And then I'll just stare at them, and then they decide what they're going to be. They oh, I just... love that. I really love that. I appreciate <laughs> you sharing your yeah the way you work. It's fascinating, and I love it's... the fact that you're like you say you're upside. You're kind of you're recycling, upcycling that material yeah. that would otherwise go to waste. That's that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. So until I could be you know well enough to afford a hundred percent like organic, that I know it's you know. 100% sustainable and all that then then this is the second best option that I that I could do right at this moment brilliant now we shared some of the challenges that you faced when you first started out so I'm curious about how those change as you grow and become a bit more mature as a business now I know for example you mentioned you opened a, you had a physical store which I believe you opened in 2008 mm -hmm. um, in New York and then closed it in 2013 so and you've moved to online um, uh, online only can you tell us as much as you're comfortable sharing why kind of what why that happened and what have been the benefits and any disadvantages well um, the reason when I first opened it in 2008 the economy had just like tanked in in the US oh, yes, <laughs> and, that was the, yeah it was the GFC wasn't it yeah it was it was really bad but um and so I was saying like it, either I'm like really stupid or I'm really brilliant for opening a business right now <laughs> So, and what happened is the reason I was able, and I'm, you know, more than happy to share this, is that I had owned an apartment in New York. I, I, you know, when I worked in the garment industry, I did 
end up making a lot of money, <laughs> a lot of money, which is very nice. I miss those days. That's the only, <laughs> that's the only thing I miss about working for other people. But, um, you know, I, I saved enough to buy an apartment and uh, I had a beautiful apartment and then I didn't have, uh, you know, regular work anymore and I couldn't afford to stay in my apartment. So I was able to sell it, but I was able to sell it right before the market crashed. So I, I made a nice little profit on my apartment. So I had money just to open a store. So that's where I got the funds for that. Right. And, uh, but, but when I opened it, I did really well. The first couple of years, I was, it was amazing. I it was so much traffic and it was just all organic traffic, really. I mean, it, the neighborhood I was in was very good. There was a lot of, um, foreign tourists coming in and it was fabulous. And then the economy started to go a little wonky again and people stopped shopping. Uh, the tourists weren't coming anymore. And then in 2012, uh, we had Hurricane Sandy, which, you know, hit New York. It didn't hit the store, but it hit the area around the store. And just people just were not shopping anymore. Right. It just was not important. You know, there were people that didn't have their homes and couldn't get, you know, it was just was not an important thing. So I, you know, made the tough decision to, you know, to close it, sadly, but. Got it. Got it. So yeah. you've moved to online only. Yeah. What have been some of the what's some of the plus sides of running an online business? I mean, I'm guessing obviously you don't have the massive overheads that you oh, would. That's have it. It's <laughs> two rents, two electric bills, the phone bill. You know, constantly dealing with, you know, the landlord and the neighbors, and the, and then the neighborhood it turned into like a very. Um, Oh, I don't know what they were called. It was, there was a lot of bars there. So it was just a lot of, you know, drunken kids, not kids, obviously, but, you know, young adults, I should say. Right. Um, it just, the neighborhood became unruly and it just, I had, you know, I had to be there. I, I did not have any employees. I was there all the time um, myself. And I, you know, I used to work in the store because I, I make my dresses myself. I actually sew them. So, oh, wow. Uh, yeah, so I would like cut them out in my apartment. I'd bring them to the store. I had a little sewing machine set up. I'd be sewing them there, you know, working on that stuff, um, which was fine. But um, it just, you know, I had no time really. It was just, it was very consuming. I mean, I loved it while I while I had it. I don't regret it. I never regret anything. I, you know, it's everything is learning to me. Everything is a great experience. But um, you know, I don't I don't miss the overhead. I do not miss that. <laughs> Got it, got it. And I believe you do some occasional pop-ups um, around yeah. New York. Yeah, right? I've, I've been doing a little bit of them with my accessories. And the problem is, is that people, most of the pop-ups I've been doing are, you know, mostly food. And people are really coming for the food and they're really not coming for my little accessories that I make out of like excess fabric. That's what I make, like tote bags and wallets out of leftover fabrics from the dresses. But um, actually, I'm... Um, possibly talking to some people about doing trying to set up a fashion pop-up so it'll all be fashion oh, and no, that'd be great yeah so that's something you know hopefully it's going to happen down the road wonderful so obviously your business has continued to be successful despite you moving to online only mm-hmm. yeah cool. yeah okay. yeah go ahead no, I'm, curious. I'm just kind of curious because I know with clothes, it can be a little bit hit and miss ordering something online, like even going into a store, you know, sometimes I'll go into a clothes store and I think, oh, that looks fabulous on the, you know, the dummy, the mannequin. And then I try it on. And I'm like, oh, no, it looks awful on me. So I'm just kind of curious. So you haven't found that there's that like people are obviously open now to buying clothes online, even though there's a little bit of a risk. Yeah, I mean, basically, I have to say that most of my customers are customers from my store. I have retained a lot of customers. Um, 
and so they already know their size. Uh, they know their fit. You know, I have, of course, and every, every, next to every picture, I have a size chart. I say, please check the size chart. Please take your measurements. Please, you know, put it against the thing. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, uh, the occasional, uh, I really haven't had any returns. So I, oh, I've been wow. fairly lucky. Yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Um, so I'm curious, you say you, you kind of, do you still do all this yourself? Like, do you still make every garment <laughs> yourself? Or, cause I'm yeah. just curious how that would work in terms of upscaling, uh, you know, uh, uh, yeah, upscaling a business if you're doing it all yourself. Cause I know there's yeah. other fashion businesses that use factories and sometimes yeah. they use them locally. Sometimes they use them outside the country. So tell me a little bit about your decision to, or your, your process in that regard. Well, yeah, I I still do everything myself, and I've been I've been actually going back and forth in my head recently <clears throat> as to whether I want to upscale it, the line that way, uh, where is to you know instead of doing everything myself is you know to to bring it to a factory to you know have it work that way. Uh, I keep going to all these like little uh, you know uh, marketing uh, not marketing like. Um, uh, fashion like networking things that have the factories are there and you talk to them you know deciding if I'm going to go that route or not or if I'm going to just keep it small and you know just do a pop-ups and sell online and you know this way I could control the inventory and it's it's not too much for me you know I could still make it um, I'm also looking into and I actually started doing some print-on-demand designing which is um, t-shirt oh. and and fabrics that I design and then I get to put it on like a, a dress or a t-shirt or a pillow or a mug or whatever um, through the website I'm working with and people buy the dresses with the fabric that I've designed. So that's another area I'm looking into as to kind of free up my time to work on the dresses. Got it, got it. Although I suppose in a way it's kind of, it's quite a cool selling point because I guess not many people are doing that, particularly some yeah. of the larger, you know, fashion places, you know, to actually have a dress knowing it's made, but especially because your business name is, you know, Lois Eastland Design, yeah. they really are, it is all you that yeah, they're wearing, which is kind of cool. <laughs> it's all me, I do everything for, you know, I make the patterns, I do all the cut, you know, but it's it's not, I, I'm, I'm so used to doing it now that it's, you know, it's, it's, it's easy. I mean, yeah. obviously, if I got an order for like, you know, 100 dresses, it might take me a while. But yeah. <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen because I'm really not. Pursu- well, I might start pursuing a little bit of wholesale. So that's a whole nother thing. I'm, you know, I'm kind of like a little all over right now trying to figure out exactly, you know, where to focus going forward. Got I think it. it's I think it's important to keep changing and, and constantly reassessing your business to see, you know, the, how to make it work best for you. Oh, absolutely. No, that's excellent advice. So there's a little bit about, there's a little bit now, we're seeing a much more diverse range of vegan fashion, mm-hmm. uh, ethical fashion, compassionate fashion. How do you go about standing out? I and mean, we've sort of touched on this already, but how do you go about standing out both within the vegan business arena and the mainstream arena and maintaining your clients and customers? Because you've already said you've already got um, these regular customers that knew you from your store. So yeah. I'm just kind of curious, what, what makes you stand out above the rest? Um, I think it's my clothes. <laughs> I think it's the designs because they're my whole thing, you know, my whole style philosophy basically growing up is I'm a jeans and T-shirts girl. I've always worn jeans and T-shirts. I never even wore dresses, It's which is funny that I really? make dresses. Oh. Yeah, growing up, I never wore dresses, <laughs> which is crazy. But um, so I wanted my clothing to be as comfortable as wearing a jeans and a t-shirt. 
So the, I think the fact that my clothes are comfortable, they're washable, uh, and they're, they're pretty much timeless because I've been selling the same designs for like almost 10 years now and people are still wearing them. <laughs> so it's like, you know, especially today with all this, you know, fast fashion and people throwing, you know, disposable fashion to be able to buy a dress that you could wear for 10 years and you still look cool and chic and stylish and you still feel really good. I think that's, I think, honestly, I think that's what keeps that, you know, that makes me stand out from, from the others. No, I love that. I could really relate to that because I, I love to, I love to buy it. When I like something, I would buy it and I want it to last for ages. And sometimes if I really love something, I'll buy two or three of it because I know it's going to go a quote out of fashion. And I hate that. Um, and I totally get what you say about the, the comfort as well. Like it, you want to look, you know, good, but you also want to be comfortable. For me, particularly, that's around shoes. I used to wear heels a lot and now oh, I'm yes. just over it. But platforms, I like, if I can get platforms where my feet are completely flat, that's great and they used to do them and now they've gone out quote out of fashion I get so annoyed I'm like I know I'm ready to buy (laughs) yeah I don't wear heels at all I I wore heels when I was a teenager that was the end of it I I, I, I'm I'm like a boots girl like jeans t-shirts boots I wear boots in the summer I don't care you know (laughs) whatever but so, uh, yeah. yeah, so yeah, so that's it. So that's I totally agree with you. The platforms yeah, too, lovely, fun. and I love that. I love that you've got that. Like you say, because I think there's this myth that fashion's got to be somehow uncomfortable. Um, you know, but that's not the case at all. You like you say, you can look cool and stylish and hip and all of that, and be comfortable. So I love that you're combining the two. I think that's really cool, <laughs> fantastic. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the marketing and promotion. So what been some of your marketing strategies that you've used that have been successful in growing your business? Um, well, I mean, basically, the only marketing I'm really doing is, you know, social media. And of course, you know, networking at wonderful vegan events that I go to. Um, so that's I actually I think networking has been more successful in the vegan community as far as, you know, getting, you know, nice, beautiful vegan women to wear my dresses. Um uh, but, you know, as far as my other customers, like I said, I have my regular uh, customers from previous from my store. But, yeah, I'm just I'm just on social media. That's that's really what I'm doing. Fantastic. Oh, that's great. Which particular social media works for you? I'm guessing the visual ones uh, probably work well. Is that right? Well, I, I actually I'm on like, you know, I'm on Facebook. I'm on um, Twitter. I'm on Pinterest and um, Instagram. I still think that Facebook works the best for me. Uh, you know, they've changed the algorithms for businesses. Oh, it's killing me what they're doing. Yeah. So, so even though I still have my business page, I, I still post the same things on my personal page. And, you know, that's, that really works. And Instagram, you know, I wasn't on as business, but I switched back to personal because I heard that they were, um, you know, like kind of throttling the business people. So, you know, because they want you to buy advertising. Yeah, of course. Well, so. that's great to know. It's interesting to know that Facebook works for you. When you say Facebook works for you, does it work for you in terms of, say, getting leads or fans that then you can funnel into your email? Or does it actually work for you that people go, oh, that's a really cool dress. I'm going to buy it. Yeah, more. it's more that. It's a really cool dress. And then somebody will message me and say, oh, do you sell online? And I'm like, yes, here's my website, even though it's, nice. even though it's usually there. And then, but I'll still I'll go out of my way and I'll say, which dress are you interested in? I'll send them a picture. I'll send them a size chart. You know, I'll just, it's so easy. It's marketing today is so easy. When I started out, it was not this easy. It was so difficult. 
you know, to find customers, but it's really easy now. I mean, we, we have it. The social media today is just, it's basically free advertising. Right, right. And it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because some people say, oh, yeah, it's great. We've got all these marketing channels. But then there's also, you know, everybody's jumping in on it. So it can be hard to stand above the crowd. But like you say, you know, you've got very bold designs. And I guess you're in the kind of business where you can literally advertise your goods. Um, yeah, by... yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I wear them out, too. You know, I wear them yeah. exactly fantastic what about in regards to the word vegan because as we say you know you had your company for a while but then you you became vegan yourself so can you talk to us a little bit about your use of the word vegan in your marketing or your branding on your website and the prominence of it or whether you use it or not um, yeah your your decision to do that yeah I I do use it I'm and now I'm now PETA certified so that's oh um, lovely it's on my website, very big, and it's on my Facebook, and it's on it's, it's on everywhere. Um, I think it's important because I think being vegan is extremely important for you know the animals, the environment, for us, the people, the human race, and I I, I I'm all for it. I see nothing wrong with it, and I, I'm just you know I want to shout it from the rooftops. Has it impact like have you or any of your regular customers pushed back in any way like when they've suddenly seen this word? Because they just knew you as, you know, Lois Eastland designer and now you're right. kind of Peter approved and vegan. So I'm just wondering, did you get any, how, what was the reaction of particularly some of your regular clients? No, no change because like I said, my clothes were vegan. So it's not like my clothes changed. It's not like I took anything away or changed the fits or changed the fabric. It was always the same thing. So, oh, cool. you know, they're just like, oh, that's cool. You're vegan. You know, like, what is it? What do you eat? You know, stuff like that. <laughs> nice, what, do you, nice. what do you eat? That's what yeah, I was going What do you eat? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't get that anymore, but I get, what do you eat? I'm like, nice. oh, I eat oh. food. <laughs> Fantastic. Just food. Cool. You've also been featured in, I noticed, quite a lot of media. And I'm just curious, how did that come about? Did you hire a publicist? Did the media kind of come to you? Or did you do any kind of outreach to get that kind of coverage? Um, Just lucky. The media came to me. When I had the store, I got a lot because people would just walk in off the street and they happened to be from a magazine or a newspaper or a local, you know, we had a, a local blog in New York down, downtown that, that wrote me wrote, wrote me up a lot. Uh, yeah, I was on like... um. See, uh, like a national a news channel on the morning show because I was using a you know a certain payment system because the person who uh, worked for the payment system happened to come into my store that they saw I was using the payment system and I you know so it just weird quirky things like that and because uh, I do get some emails though I guess people see my website I'm, I'm also on the PETA website so um, I have not paid for anything I've not hired anybody I've not reached out I'm just been very being lucky. out there yeah, yeah just being, being out, out there, there being out and you know networking again at you know vegan events and exactly yeah yeah that makes a lot of sense um so let's talk a little bit about um yeah your advice and tips so for people who aspire to owning a vegan run business and perhaps particularly in fashion you know some up-and-coming you know fashion designers and they want to do things ethically what's your opinion on what are the key things they need to take into account before making that jump from employment to going into their own business well first they have to decide where their money's going to come from and they have to have it before they should quit their job that's that's number one but the the most important thing is you really have to you have to love it you really have to be committed to do this because it's it it's it's a 24 hour business it, it you know you dream about it you think about it you know i get ideas in the shower <laughs> you know what i mean like it's <laughs> it's constantly there you know it but it for it, so that's that's very important 
but once you decide that and you you want to do it you know research you got to find you got to find the vegan fabrics you there's so much information available online now there's there's all kinds of sourcing guides where you can find like the new vegan leathers the vegan suede, you know, they're making leather from pineapple, from wine. I mean, yes, I saw that the other day, the it's wine. Like crazy. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> they're making it from mushrooms. Uh, I actually just saw the um, uh, the pineapple leather uh, at the vegetarian food festival that we had a few weeks ago here in New York City. Somebody had a pair of the shoes made out of the, the, the vegan uh, yes, the the leather. Yeah. Yes, oh, they were. Cool. I'm like, I want those shoes. There was a contest. <laughs> I did not win them. I'm very upset about that. But yeah, you do your research, find your, uh, you know, your fabrics, find there's so much information on uh, sustainable factories, you know, the, fa- the practice, good practices. You know, if you're local, uh, you know, if you have a like a fashion garment center in where you are, go over to go to the factories, talk to the people. See how they work. You know, just do as knowledge is power. Do as much research as possible. You know, to make sure that they're they're following. You know, your ethical standards. Got it. Got it. And I loved what you said earlier as well about the importance of networking, of actually getting out there uh, face yeah. to face. And, yeah, yeah. yeah that, that's those... another thing. Join some groups. Join vegan groups. Join there's ethical fashion groups. Um, go to as many events as possible. Because you just never know who you're going to meet, who you're going to talk to, you know, have your business cards ready or, you know, get your contact information on the phone. Just have, you know, just be out there and, and just talk to anybody about, yeah, nice. about everything. advice. Yeah, like you said, like even with people coming into your store, like, you know, you just don't know, you know, or if you go out to an event, you just, like you say, you don't know who, you, who you'll meet. And I know we, I mean, I love being online, but there's nothing quite like that sort of real life interaction that can really yeah. enter relationships. Yeah, you know, that's something that I didn't mention that I wanted to mention, how much I missed. That's one of the things I missed about having the store is the interaction, the one-on-one customers, because I met so many wonderful people from all over the world. I loved hearing their stories, you know, and and then at the end, you know, meeting other vegans who came in. It was it was just an amazing thing, and you really can't you really can't beat that um, that interaction and you know and just all the people. It's just so many wonderful people around. It's just yeah. fabulous. For sure. What personal qualities do you believe are essential to running a successful business, Lois? Well, you once again, you have to be committed. You have to be open-minded. You have to be ready to accept failure because, once again, I don't really think it's failure. I think it's more learning experience. But you have to accept defeat. You know what I mean? Like, if something's not working, you got to move on. Like, okay, what did I learn from this? How could I recover from this? What can I do next to, to, to move on from this? Um, it's really, really important. You have to, you have, once again, you have to love what you do. You have to be committed to doing it. Um, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, that's excellent advice. What would you say have been the key lessons you've learned through running your business? Um, honestly, don't overthink things because (laughs) if you overthink it, you'll never do it. Um, sometimes it's best just to go with your gut. Um, and also don't dismiss your gut. If you have a bad feeling about something, it's probably right. Um, and just, you know, do your research. Just, you know, you just have to be on your toes and yeah, I, I just, that's, I've just learned that, you know, you just have to keep moving. You have to keep moving forward. You have to keep finding what the next thing is as far as like innovation, technology, how can that help you? 
um, I mean, because sometimes, it, you know, as with anything, if, you, if you're staying in place, you're not going anywhere. But you have to keep moving forward and you have to keep learning and you have to keep experiencing, um, you know, to get ahead. Yeah, that's wonderful advice. I was just thinking as you're saying that you're a really good example of that because it can be tempting to, you know, okay, something's working now, that's great, and just kind of get stuck in that. And then it can be a shock when that suddenly stops working. So I love that you've really kind of, you know, you're so immersed in your industry, you're keeping abreast of what's going on and trends in both, you know, whether materials and fashion itself, but also in the marketing and, and that kind of thing. And yeah. Different audiences. So yeah, you have, to, you have to keep up with the trade papers. You have to just everything. And most important, definitely most important is you have to have a positive attitude and you you have to be nice because we should treat you should always should treat people the way you expect to be treated but you really it's it just it really pays to be nice to people always that's just that's that's actually that should be my number one role is just be nice to everyone Nice. So I like that. That's great. Now, I know you talked about earlier, just wrapping up now, I know you talked about earlier that you are, you're kind of in a decision making process at the moment. But is there anything you, you want to share about things that you may be doing or anything you've got up and coming in terms of I was going to ask you about your long term vision for your brand and yourself. But I know you're maybe thinking about that at the moment. Is there anything else you'd like to let us know about about your business? Um, well, that I, you know, I, like I mentioned that I'm shifting, I'm doing some print on demand things. I think it's a good way to get out, um, the vegan message that way. Cause my, my thought was, how can I go forward and do what I love and, you know, be more committed to the vegan, you know, message? How can I get the message out there? So, uh, by, you know, still having my clothing line, um, shifting to doing some print on demand t-shirts where I have like, you know, cute vegan messages and, um, you know, the other print on demand, um, fabrics were that are going on to garments, uh, that people can buy them that way as well. But, um, and, you know, doing, you know, doing maybe some fashion pop-ups, um, did that answer the question? Yeah, sure. What about fashion shows like I don't know New York? I know New York Fashion Week is obviously huge, but and, but I know sometimes they sometimes have, or some of these fashion weeks have like ethical fashion components. Like, do you are you still involved, or have you been involved in that kind of thing? Or well, I I, I I did show um, last year. There was the ethical fashion show. Was it like an ethical anti fur fashion? show it was curated by uh, John Bartlett um and I had some dresses in that show um there's going to be another one I don't, I don't know if it, I think it was postponed until next year honestly I'm not sure about that I was working with the woman but uh, we lost touch a little bit I have to get back in touch with her but I did show it in New York Fashion Week not like you know the big tents like you know all the big people but there are, there are a lot of small venues and I my did my first show um it, it was vegan. I wasn't, but it was in uh, it was in 2011, like a couple months before I went vegan. I had my first uh, New York Fashion Week show, and I, I've showed about maybe three or four week, uh, years. Um, I didn't do the last two years, just because it wasn't really. It was just you know a lot of stress and not really. Would you? Is it something you would advise? Like, is it a good thing for fashion designers to do? Um, I think that. If you can get in front of the right people, it might be, but it's, it's kind of more hype than it is. I mean, you get, you do get some great photos from it. So if, you know, if you could work at that and if you could, if you could do it, a lot of these shows do, you know, like a very reduced rate, um, cause it's pretty expensive to do. 
Um, I was going to ask you that. So you, you've obviously paid to be involved in that. Well, a couple I paid, uh, and a couple I did myself. I just had like my own renegade shows, and uh, which was so fun, but a lot of stress. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the last one I did, actually, no, the last one I did was was it last year or the year before? God, time goes so fast. Uh, okay. I, I actually did like Atlantic City Fashion Week. They offered me a free spot, so. Um, I did that. I think that was the last one I did. But now it's just it's just too much work. And I've shown a Brooklyn Fashion Week, yeah. So yeah, I'm I keep forgetting all these things I've done. <laughs> You've done so much. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's it just keep going forward and you know try not to look back. No, fantastic. That's been brilliant. Thank you so much for well, sharing thank you, all this. Katrina. I'm I'm just so happy. And your tips, you. especially to have someone yeah so as experienced um, uh, as yourself and I say I really love that you know you've been in the industry for a long time but you've really rolled with the changes and made it work for you and I think that's such a brilliant um, you know strategy and message to share and you've shared lots of other you know really cool tips so really appreciate you coming on the show Lois. Oh thank you. Thank you so much Katrina. So that was Lois Eastland. You can find out more at loiseastland.com. And that link is on the show notes page at veganbusinessmedia.com forward slash podcasts and going to episode 80. Now for our vegan business news roundup. Vending machines are not known for being vegan friendly, but a San Francisco based startup is set to change that. Le Cupboard opened its plant-based kitchen storefront in No Valley in June this year, that's 2017 if you're listening in the future, and now plans to add mobile vending machines at two yet-to-be-announced locations in San Francisco next month, reports ETA. Offerings will include chia pudding breakfast jars, lentil salads and zucchini noodles with walnut pesto. And because the company is a public benefit corporation whose mission is to turn the food system on its head, the vegan vending machines will be located in places where healthy food is scarce, such as hospitals, and yes, the irony is definitely there, (laughs) offices and food deserts. I love this. You know, vending machines are usually full of junk food, so changing them to contain healthy food that's good for people, animals and planet is brilliant. Offering vegan food in workplaces is essential to retaining millennial employees, reports TechCo. Krista Ungerbock, coach at CEO Growth, advised in the article that millennials are much more health conscious than their older peers. She said, gone are the days when a boss can come in with a box of donuts without offending anyone. From gluten-free to vegan to low-carb to juice fasts, there are so many specific diets with which millennials experiment. So if you're going to offer food and drink in the office kitchen or at company parties, make sure that you're offering a wide variety of health-conscious foods with plenty of vegan and gluten-free options. Now, this is fantastic, and I love that this is being recognized, but I think someone needs to tell Ungerbock that there are some amazing vegan donuts now available. (laughs) And while they may not be the healthiest, they're certainly better than those with animal ingredients. Finally, the Canadian government released a new set of proposed dietary guidelines last week in which plant-based foods are given more emphasis than ever before, reports Veg News. The 
draft guidelines recommend regular intake of vegetables, fruit, whole grains and protein-rich foods, especially plant-based sources of protein. They also encourage people to eat less meat and saturated fat derived from animal products. Now, even though meat and dairy have not been eliminated from the guidelines, the focus on plant-based protein and foods is much greater than in guidelines issued in previous years. As well as the health benefits, the guidelines also note the environmental advantages of plant-based foods. Fantastic. This is really good news for vegan food businesses in the country, and yet another reason to love Canada. So that's it for this episode of Vegan Business Talk. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, I'd really appreciate it if you gave it a review and rating on iTunes or any other platform you're listening on. Finally, I encourage you to head over to veganbusinessmedia.com where you can find more resources, including details of my media and PR consultations, copywriting, editing and proofreading services to help you grow your vegan business. I'm Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business, and I look forward to catching up with you in the next episode of Vegan Business Talk. Bye for now.